Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. My reflection uh, is on Luke chapter 1, verses 45 through 55, which I shall read for you. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, if you look, I can already see my children's eyes rolling and practically hear their groans from here as I once again bring up my favorite musical, Hamilton. Yes, I know practically every lyric by heart and can even tell you a lot of the hip-hop allusions in the songs composed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. One song that I particularly enjoyed learning more about is called Yorktown, or the world turned upside down. It tells of the British Army's surrender to General George Washington and follows a popular legend that that was the tune played by the British as their soldiers marched to lay down their arms. It turns out that the story is not at all true, but <laughs> it does illustrate a great point that the colonies, by their resistance and revolution, were able to reverse their role under the British Empire and cast a vision for the world they wanted to create and live in. We can see a parallel in that in the story told by Luke of Mary visiting Elizabeth. During the first century, Rome was the dominant political factor in the region. Although Judea was ruled by King Herod, it was known and understood that Rome was the power and wealth behind him. Romans imposed heavy taxes and restrictions on the Jews, and they had to choose between going along with it or resisting the Romans. When Mary visits Elizabeth, she sings a song of praise, often referred to as the Magnificat. Style-wise, it's very similar to an ancient tradition of victory songs, often sung to tell the tales of great battles and victories as part of our oral traditions of history. Mary sings of her belief and faith that the Lord will fulfill the promises spoken to her through her role as the mother of Jesus. Her song is one of joy, but also resistance to Herod and the Roman Empire. Instead of detailing the battles and the victories of the past, she proclaims a powerful vision of God's kingdom on earth. In this version of the world turned upside down, the powerful are brought down from their thrones and the rich are sent away empty. She sings of a version of life that she, as a teenage girl, can only imagine. The lowly lifted up, the hungry filled with good things. Her song foretells the work of John the Baptist and Jesus in teaching and creating God's kingdom. Mary's song brings into focus the longings and struggles of the Jewish people living under Roman rule. As a teenage girl in a very patriarchal society, she is the lowly, hungry child she describes in her song. 
The Jewish people were promised a savior when they, whom they were counting on to free them from oppression. The savior they longed for to lead them to freedom, to establish justice, and to create shalom. With her faith in God and her belief in the promises made to her, she talks not just of how God will bring victory to her or the Jewish people, but all generations. Her song is one of good news, but what does it mean for the wealthy and powerful? Is there nothing but judgment? When God empties the rich of their excess and fills the hungry with good things, will we just be swapping one group of powerful and powerless for another? Instead of perhaps the world turned upside down, maybe it's more like a leveling of the playing field. As Christians, we can see this song as our invitation to join in the magnifying of God's plan and join in the work to break down systems that create that imbalance of power. Mary's song magnifies a God who loves the whole world, and we are invited to be part of the generations that benefit from that love and grace. Mary had the courage to say yes to the dream of divine justice and love. This story challenges us to be at God's disposal for the sake of the world. Like the ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower from Hamilton, will we have the courage to join the legions of Mary in a revolution to bear love to the world? If we could end in just a moment of prayer and reflection. Lord, give me Mary's confidence and generosity of spirit. I ask not just to listen to your voice and to do your will, but to do it joyfully and fearlessly. Let me answer your call with a yes, because I know that my journey continues in the footsteps of generations before me and creates a path for the generations that follow. Good morning. My passage is a few pages beyond where the Magnificat is, is to be found. From Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 22. And at this point, Jesus is teaching and healing multitudes. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. I don't know if this fact has ever crossed your mind, but the people in this world who suffer most from poverty, hunger, and heartbreak mentioned in those Beatitudes, they're women and children. It's the same all over the world. These verses promise that these suffering women and children will be blessed. When I considered this promise in my life or for my life, I realized there are several examples of exactly that in my family history. Women who experienced great loss and deprivation and yet lived blessed lives and were blessings to others. You have to go back, can't believe it's 100 years or more. Um, both my grandmothers were strong women who faced many hardships in life. My father's father was lost at sea in 1941 off the coast of Cornwall when his ship was possibly torpedoed. There were six children at home. Three joined the army, my father joined the Royal Navy, and Frankie, the youngest, was still at school. 
So Granny was probably hungry. Those children that were left, Frankie that was left was probably hungry. I never asked her if she took a job or what she did, but somehow she got through. She got through without complaining. I never heard anyone say she did, and when I knew her in later years, she never complained. Her sons came home more or less safely. My Uncle Arthur lost a couple of fingers and only had one eye, which fascinated us as children. <laughs> she was a boon to our village, helping anyone who needed a hand, always available. She walked, she got up about four in the morning and she'd walk through the village and check on people. Everyone called her Bessie, and all the children called her Granny, all the children in the village, and I didn't think I was related to all of them. Confused me no end. So Granny blessed our village with her presence in her long life. She had joy, and she did indeed laugh often. My other grandmother lived in the big city, Glasgow, and it would take too long to tell you some of the facts that should have left her despondent and losing the will to live, and here are some of the facts. Her fiancé died on the last day of World War I. Her eventual husband died at 28, leaving three children, one my mother. One was two-year-old Richard, and who died of pneumonia. None of these facts were ever told to me by my gran. My mother told me after she died, and I was in awe that she had suffered so much I never discussed it, complained, said poor me. She had a deep faith and instead of poor me, she spent much of her life helping those with what she saw as real problems. And last, my auntie Val, whose name was Val Trout, was from East Prussia and was not a blood relative, obviously. She was a German when her story began. I learned about, from her, I learned about life in Konigsberg because I was curious. I didn't know much about East Prussia. It was 1944, 45. Her mother, her sister, and her brother were seeing bombs around them where they lived because the Red Army was approaching. Russia very much wanted Konigsberg. Uh, the Russian army was heading their way, and in January 45, notice this is East Prussia in January, very cold. They had to pack up and evacuate. They made their way to the harbor on the Baltic to line up to board one of the ships waiting to take them west. And Auntie Val spoke very quietly about that period. Um, she spoke about when it was their time to board that she couldn't move. She said, I think she was 15 as far as I can tell then. She said, Mama, my feet are glued. They won't move, they're stuck. Well, people were rushing to get on these boats to escape what was gonna be an awful fate. And they didn't get the boat, they didn't make it, and they were left to fend for themselves. So her mother must have been a wonderful woman. She. By the way, never knew what happened to her husband. Of course, he'd been in the German army and wasn't around and never to be heard from again. But they went into a shop that was abandoned to get food and then they found an abandoned house that they could spend the night in. And they gathered firewood for a fire. Um, it, was, it was very cold. 
By the way, I read somewhere when I was looking at the casualties and what with the, the ships that didn't make it, I think the water was minus 10 Celsius, the temperature of the water at the time. So many of those boats did not make it, many of those ships. I won't go into all that now if you're interested in looking it up, because Russian subs were out there. And the worst one lost 9,000 people. A big ship did not make it. Um, so I tried to imagine what it was like for Val and her sister and her mother, the trauma they went through in their young lives. Uh, eventually, they somehow made it overland to Western Germany. I do know, remember she said soldiers helped them. German soldiers, of course, were hiding out and trying to move. This was the end of the war. This was January 45, so the Hitler's life was coming to an end. That mother and her children suffered from not just poverty, hunger and loss, but extremely traumatic events. But Val did find blessings. She married my wonderful uncle Johnny. That's how I got to know her. He was in Remy, which is the Royal Engineers, and posted to the part of Germany where she ended up as a refugee, interesting enough, in Germany. Um, she was a pillar of our wee villages, churches, congregation, especially the Women's Guild, that's PW. Another amazing woman who had suffered so much, but she trusted the Lord and his promises. She was blessed with a loving family and many friends. I'm thankful to God that I knew these kind, loving women and their fascinating stories, and for the strong, loving Presbyterian women here at First Church and their stories. We've heard from Emily about the Magnificat and from Jane about a very similar theme of God uh, comforting those who mourn. Um, I'm going to focus also on the Magnificat and particularly the verses Luke 1, 51 to 53. God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Many of us, including me, like to carefully plan and control as much as we can. I'm the kind of person who will get out an Excel spreadsheet to make decisions about everything from airline travel to what we should eat to what we should do on a Saturday afternoon. There's a temptation to think that if I just gather enough data, then all my decisions will be right and everything will work out wonderfully. So I feel convicted when I hear the line in the prayer of confession, we think the strength that sustains us is our own. And I realize that in the Magnificat, those who are proud in the imagination of their hearts may refer to me. Periodically throughout my life, God has humbled me in these proud, over-controlling, over-planning inclinations. When I was trying to decide on a college, it was down to Davidson and Vanderbilt, and I decided to put together a rubric to score different aspects from the dorms to the course catalog to the cafeteria food, and I thought I will add up all these scores and I will know the answer. Well, the scores were all different in all the different categories, but I got the final sum and it was an exact tie. <laughs> And I could hear God laughing, Rachel, sometimes you have to make decisions on faith, not data. 
Of course, the birth of a new baby, which Mary and Elizabeth are both expecting at this time of the Magnificat, is something guaranteed to turn people's most careful planning on their head. What's the most common thing people say to those who will soon be new parents? Oh, your life will never be the same. Oh, get ready for a big change. Before my son Paul was born, I was sharing with my cousin Andrew Whaley about how I was concerned about not having as much sleep. I always loved sleep. And I said, I just don't know how I will handle being up in the night. And Andrew Whaley, as you know, is very pastoral, very kind, but he was up in the night with his own eight-month-old son, Simon, at that time. And he looked at me and said, you're just gonna have to get over that. <laughs> but Mary's song foretells not just the way the birth of Jesus would turn her own life on its head, which it certainly would, much more than most of us, but it would also turn the whole world upside down, as Emily said. Rulers would be brought from their thrones and the lowly lifted up. This is a bit beyond what we would usually think about the birth of a new baby. In fact, to gauge what a very typical song of praise for a new baby might be, I turn to ChatGPT. So this is, if you don't know, an artificial intelligence program that has sort of thrown the world upside down in higher education and those of us who try to teach people how to write. This program is trained on a huge body of writing um, which then it uses to make answers to any question that you might put to it that will be grammatically correct and coherent and reflect what people often say. And so, um, in fact, Andrew Whaley again mentioned to me a few weeks ago that ChatGPT can probably write a sermon as good as most mediocre preachers, so hope not better than what I'm preaching today. Uh, but the result I got for asking for a song of praise to God for a new baby was pretty much the worst Hallmark card you could possibly imagine. I'll spare you the whole thing, but it included lines like, tiny fingers and toes, a wonder to behold, innocence and purity, a story yet untold. With each heartbeat, a symphony of grace, a radiant light, a sweet angelic face. You may be surprised it did not say, God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is not expected, this is prophecy. In fact, Mary and Elizabeth are the first prophetic voices in the Gospel of Luke. Throughout the Gospel, Luke places women as faithful disciples. The call of God in Luke actually first comes to Zechariah, but Zechariah doesn't believe and is struck dumb. So Mary becomes the first example of a faithful response to God's call. This carries all the way through Luke, where Luke brings up the women who followed Jesus as well as the disciples who are men. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and of course the women are the ones who announce the resurrection. As I browsed through Luke, looking for examples of all these women that he talks about, I came across a verse that I had forgotten or don't remember reading in Luke 11. Jesus has just finished teaching very complicated things about Beelzebub and some complicated ideas about evil, and then a certain woman speaks up, happy is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. It's kind of like, oh, your mother must be so proud. Jesus responds, happy rather are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Ouch. But beyond being a rebuke, Jesus is actually saying something fairly empowering. No, women are not just producers of babies who should be proud of their children, and their pride only comes from their children. We're all called to hear and to practice God's word. So how did Mary come up with this song? She was a poor uh, teenage girl, as Emily said. But as I was thinking about this, I was struck by how similar this is to a song that Hannah sings in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, Hannah is giving thanks for the birth of her own child and sings, those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. 
God raises up the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. This made me imagine that Mary may have known this song well. In fact, the song of Hannah is sung at Rosh Hashanah in the Jewish festivals. And so I can imagine that Mary knew this song by heart and something like that could come out at this time when she needed it. Have you ever had a hymn come to your mind at a time when you needed it most? I know that's one way that I feel God speaks to me if I'm in a certain situation, then a hymn that I know may come to my mind to offer encouragement or courage. And now we sing these words of Mary. We've sung them today, we'll sing them again after this sermon. And there's at least 238 different settings of the Magnificat. And so these and other songs teach us to expect the unexpected work of God in the world. Mary's song, as Emily pointed out, may not sound like such good news for those of us who are comfortable, well-fed, and feel in control. We might actually prefer the poem about tiny baby toes. But like Mary, we know the songs by heart that can give us the courage to be a participant in God's disruptive plans for justice and love. And like Mary singing this song at Elizabeth's house, we don't do this alone. We do it in community. Unlike the Christmas pageants we often put on, Mary didn't just burst into song right after the angel Gabriel left. It was with Elizabeth that this happened. So where do we as the church need to have our comfortable lives turned upside down to bring justice to the oppressed? How should we be preparing for God to do the unexpected in us? May God give us the grace to do so. Amen. Loving God, let us pray. Today we celebrate the blessing of God calling women at all stages of life, from diverse ages, languages, cultures, races, backgrounds, and in all circumstances. We celebrate God's gifts bestowed upon us a variety of gifts and services for the common good activated by one and the same Spirit. We are grateful for women of all ages who serve God and neighbor in committees, on boards, as members, elders, and deacons, as teachers, and beyond. For young women, tweens, and teens, who serve in manifold ways for the advisors who mentor, listen, and hold space for their growth in wisdom and grace. For nominating committees that recognize potential and promise, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in all voices, regardless of age, we celebrate and give thanks to God for women who work towards a more just world, one free of biases, discrimination, food insecurity, and poverty, for women entrepreneurs, homemakers, students, and volunteers who partner and lead, who sit on decision-making boards, who head micro-enterprises, small businesses, nonprofits, corporations, churches, and ecclesiastical bodies. We celebrate and give thanks to God. Embolden all your children, all the people of your creation, to celebrate your image, gracious God, one that reflects the diversity that is within your holy being. Let us remember 
that we are called to care for each other regardless of who we are because you claim us all as your children. For those who are hurting, sick, or dying, please wrap them in your loving arms. We pray for those in our own church, including Linda Smith and Ely Driver. Comfort them from any pain and heal them as only you can. We pray for those who have joined you in death, remembering Anne Hart Murian and Helen Ferguson. Surround their loved ones as they grieve. Hear now the prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.